What you tend to find out is as you uh, grow in a gifting and you grow in what God has called you to do, two things tend to happen. You get into ministry thinking, I'm doing it because I feel good about myself, because, man, it feels good to help people and be needed. Then when you realize what's all invested in that, and you get some healing yourself, then you realize, I really don't want to be doing this. (laughs) I would much rather just come in and sit down and give an offering and praise Jesus and go home and get about my life. And I still feel that way a lot of times. But what happens is, what's happened in my life, is I've realized that I do what I do for the kingdom because I love my father. And which is how we try to even raise our children. I don't want my children to obey me because they're afraid of the consequence. And they do, starting out young. And sometimes even as Christians, as we get more involved in in our Christian walk and we grow, sometimes that's still kind of why we don't sin. Would you agree? Because I'm a afraid of the consequence and as we finish up and we wrap up today with part three I want to encourage you and I want to it's not really where I was going to start but that's where the Holy Spirit led my mouth to go is that right now I believe that even in my own life at least in the past and where we are as new covenant little c and where we are as big church is the body of Christ, is we sin for the, or we don't sin for the wrong reason. Would you agree? We don't sin because of the consequence. Would you agree? And I, and I think that is, um, that's a good place to start when we are immature. Does that make sense? So let's recap real quick. Um, As we've been going through the past few weeks, we've uh, talked about sin. We've identified sin. We've talked about things that we know are sin. And McKinley, will you do me a favor? We go out this door, and I believe the the fold-out thing is there. Will you look and see if the diagram is on it and bring it in for me? Do what? There's that board that I brought out a couple weeks ago. See if it's there, and is it still got drawing on it? Yes, cool, Chad, thank you. So we've talked about sin, we've identified some sin, we've identified some biggies that we obviously all try to stay away from, and then we have, we're going to bring that up here, Chad, if that's okay, then we've also identified some things, just put it up here in the middle, that we don't really think are sin, that we just kind of let slide because they're some of our favorite things to do, you know, like I really... And I, I tell you, I know I've made this joke a few times in the past few weeks about four Big Macs. Have you been to McDonald's and seen that now they ha- I've always said, man, Big Mac needs bigger meat on the Big Mac. They have a Big Mac with bigger meat on it. And I have wanted it so bad. Even when I'm not really hungry and I'm just like, I'm 40 years old. I can still burn some of this stuff off. <laughs> But that's the Grand Mac, yeah. But what happens, that in comparison with some of these other things, is it wrong to eat a Big Mac? No. But am I trying to not put certain things in my body? Yes. So if I have been convicted of what is going in here, and I go to McDonald's and eat a Grand Big Mac, Grand Mac, then I have sinned. But our viewpoint is, is not that. It's, all oh, I just shouldn't have ate that, and we'll scoot it off. We've talked about all kinds of little things that tend to sneak in. And what happens when little things sneak in, they grow. And what happens when little things sneak in and we take advantage of grace, because we've talked about that too, little things get into the bottom, and they eat the little fruit. They start digging at the roots. And we think, well, I'm not sinning. I'm okay, because all this other fruit's still happening. We talked about how Alexis, who's always on time, (laughs) to Walmart, and Austin goes, no, she's not. She's always 10 minutes late. She goes, no, I'm not. I got a 10-minute grace period. (laughs) But how we take advantage of that, because in reality, with the grace period, she's not late. 
She still receives a paycheck. She still receives benefits. Walmart still uses her, still pays her, but there's no promotion. So what happens with grace is we take advantage of grace and we allow sin to get in. There's still some fruit. God's still using us to a degree, but we all want promotion, but no promotion comes. And we're like, why am I not getting promoted? When like at Friday at 8 o'clock, we're watching Game of Thrones, which has got nudity in it. Only because I scanned past it once and seen it and thought, uh, I don't need to watch this anymore. Yet I see Facebook posts of people who say they're Christians and they're watching these types of shows. Oh, it's okay. I just close my eyes. Really? You know, and I know it's kind of somber. And, and we talked about even in the beginning when I started to share this message. How come, how come Mike Brown is up here sharing a message on sin when we've all seen Mike Brown's sin? And that, as we get vulnerable, and, and I believe that I have, that's probably the hardest part of me standing up here to share this message, is my sin is everywhere. Even as I am working on it, as I try to make things better, I even said, just like Yoda, do or do not. There is no try. How many times have I said, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. It's my escape goat. I'll try, I'll try. Well, do you know what the escape goat was originally used for? Do you know why we even say that? If I get the story right, what happens with the escape goat is back in Jesus' time and before, they would make a sacrifice correct, but they would do something with the goat and go ahead. They put the sin offering on the goat's head and kicked him out into the wilderness. Walk around till he died. That is the escape goat. Well, the escape goat is, is referencing sin. How many have said, I'm, that's my escape goat. That's my excuse. All the same thing. And it's not to pass judgment on you to say you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong but the word does say judgment starts in the house of the lord and when we started this this series originally i said we're going to focus on not big church because sometimes when we share the word we start talking about church in the body and we mean everybody but i really felt the holy spirit was leading me that as we share this message it it is me it's toward me to help keep me changing but it's new covenant we can't just generalize it because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or have people come to us and start talking about certain things that I may have misrepresented or quoted wrong. We have to say it's about little c. It's about new covenant. And thank you because some people have came directly to me. Mike, I don't understand that. Mike, I, I don't know about this. What did you mean? And I don't know if I agree. That's what you're supposed to do. Just because we might have a different viewpoint on something doesn't mean we still can't get along. doesn't mean we're still not in unity. I might not agree with you. You might not agree with me. But the whole purpose of the confrontation is not to, you need to believe my way because I'm right. No, it's about, that is really something to think about. I need to dig in more. And I keep people in my life that challenge me to do so. So we've talked about sin. We've talked about throwing it out. We've talked about getting aggressive with it. Because it's not just enough to identify sin. It's not just enough to say, hey, man, Mike, that's a great message. And, man, I'm, I'm glad New Covenant's preaching about sin. Woo, glory to God. But how many of you have sat there and thought, yeah, I hope Mike's really, you know, taking this to heart so he continues to fix him. Or I really hope my husband's listening because he sins about 82 times a day. Or what about, I hope Alex is really listening. You know, or here's the thing that really came to me. Holy Spirit said, how many people that are over 40 are saying, man, I hope them young adults and those youth kids and them flip 180 guys are getting it. And I, and I want you to remember that because we're going to talk today about uh, three things. We're going to continue about getting aggressive with sin. We're going to talk briefly about how we handle sin right now as people, as, as little C, as New Covenant, and as big C, big church, how we handle sin, and then how we're trying to shift and change culture on how we should handle sin. Amen? 
Are you guys ready? One of the things I did last week was I went to uh, the Flip 180 group, and I asked several of them because I wanted to know how are we applying this. We always ask adults, but I also hear parents say, man, I hope my kids are listening. And as parents, you think, I hope my kids are listening. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping they're getting it. So I started asking these guys, what has God highlighted in your life that you're working on? I had one person, one Flip 180 kid say, God convicted me on hitting my mother. The big one was most of them were saying, because we started to define some of these sins, was murmuring. Well, as I'm talking to them and then I'm listening about my own self, murmuring is, hey, my wife goes, hey, Mike. You know, I'm not feeling good today, you know. Can you please take my Addie to preschool? And, you know, it makes me sick to make my own coffee. But when, when my belly gets calmed down, man, I sure would love a coffee. Would you bring me one? See, to do good, and if I don't do it, it's sin, right? Because that's the other thing. We, we don't look at the things that God says are good that we should be doing. But when we say, ah, I'm not going to, the Bible says to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So if she asked me, I love her, she's my wife, she's pregnant, again. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it's your fault too. You should have said no. <laughs> but I'm just so dang irresistible, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, anyway, so if I know to do good and I don't do it, and she asked me and I have time, or she's the love of my life besides Jesus, I should make time, right? She's not asking me anything wrong. But if I say, ah, I'm not going to do it, and I get convicted, and I still don't do it, I'm sinning, okay? So she asked me to do that, and I'm like, oh, sure, I can't believe she's always asking me. She never does anything I ask her to do. That's murmuring. And that's grumbling. And yes, I do do that. And that's complaining. And many of the flip kids said, oh, I do. That's me. You know, mom says I need to go do the dishes. Or, and, and he did give me permission. It was Daniel. He said, my mom asked me to do something, and I do that all the time. God's working. He needs to help me with that. <laughs> you know, so your kids are getting it. They are understanding. So... But again, when there's like eight or ten of them was like, oh, yeah, I murmur. You know, a couple of them was anger, getting angry. I'm working on. You think it's gone, and then you get tempted, and it comes back, and you give in. We're going to talk a little bit about that, too. So we are all fighting something. Amen? So when it comes to our sin, though, and fighting it, it's not just enough to acknowledge it, which we are. It's not just enough to say it's there and all right. I'm going to put my big boy boots on and I'm going to do it. It's I have to get aggressive if I'm going to get rid of it. Amen. Are you ready to get aggressive? Yeah. Are you ready to hear some, some Bible verses about that? Yeah. Cool. And we even talked about, we talked about this, and we'll get to it here in a second, but we also talked about Joshua. We talked about David and Goliath. And if you weren't here, I love this story because we all know about David and Goliath. Most of us should. David kills Goliath. He's the last of Jesse's kids, and goes to anoint, you know, the prophet goes to anoint, and he's like, are these your kids? And, you know, they're like, oh, no, I got this one little runny guy. And the prophet goes, that's the one. And he goes and anoints him and gets David ready to be king, and later David goes, and they're children of Israel in the fight with the Philistines and Goliath, and they're all afraid. And then David says, well, I'll go do it. And he goes and he faces Goliath, and he kills Goliath. We don't pay attention to the backstory 350 years ago. Because, see, when we sin, when we don't do good, when we do bad things, it has an effect. And it will affect you, it will affect someone you know, and it will affect people you don't know. And it don't just have this little effect of just dropping it once and, oops, I lied to Kate, I should have never done that again. It has a residual effect. 
All right. So what happened is they came out of the promised land. Moses dies and God tells Joshua to go into the promised land and wipe it all out. Wipe it out. Kill them all. Get rid of it. Now, you may think that's mean and that's evil. And oh, my gosh, Mike. I mean, you hear it all over the place in the world. If God's so loving, why did he kill people? God killed people because they were in sin. And he didn't kill them out of hatred. He killed them out of love for all the people that he knew that the sin would infect. Because he knows that when sin gets in a little bit at a time, that he was like, look, till Jesus comes, I've got to kill the whole family. So that family does not infect another family, which causes sin to spread. All right. So there's your apologetics for when somebody goes, why did God kill people in the Old Testament? It wasn't out of hatred. It was out of love. So what happened is Joshua disobeyed God and he went into the promised land and he made covenant with some people he wasn't supposed to. He's supposed to kill them and all wipe them out. And one of the places that he made covenant with was the Philistines and the area of Gath. Not thinking, he's like, oh, well, I, I'm sorry, God. I shouldn't have did that. I'm sure God forgave him. But because God is a God of covenant, God still honored covenant. And 350 years later, the children of God are being affected by the sin of one man. By one decision, because he didn't obey God. So your sin right now that you're doing, that you have done, that you've not repented for, that you've not gotten grace covering, that you've not said and taken, I take responsibility for what I did. It's not somebody else's fault. I take responsibility. God says, I can work on that. God says, I can help that guy. God's not going to really help too much the guy who just says, Preach it, Mike, and you got sin, and you got sin, and you got sin, and God help them, and you fix yours because your sin affects me and makes me act the way that I do. We got a church full of people like that. Would you agree? I've done it. Well, if you wouldn't act that way, I wouldn't sin. You know what happens? The beautiful thing about allowing God to work in your life and show you your sin and you work on it is that other people's sin doesn't affect you near as much. That I can start to walk through life and do things and, oh, well, whether or not Alex is dealing with his stuff, I'm just dealing with mine. And when his stuff causes him to sin against me, I'm like, my battle's not with flesh and blood. I love my brother. I'm going to push through because I know he's going to, but I need to work on me, not him. Amen? We also talked about this thing right here where we have a viewpoint, at least a worldly, secular viewpoint. Uh, we started taking these blocks and we put sin in them. So we gauge these sins as, oh, drinking and thinking about sin is a whole lot worse than gossip or lying. And it's a whole lot worse than I'm supposed to do something good, but I just, just don't do it. And then definitely we think like, Murder and child porn and sex slave and, and ISIS and, um, you, you know, child molestation. Man, it's the biggie. And, I mean, we need to stay away from that. But what we do is we draw this line. And when we draw this line, we say, these are the bad things. Ah, these are okay. I've got grace. I've got freedom. And God, forgive me for that. And I have the freedom to do that. And we talked about how freedom is actually defined by hardcore boundaries. And when you step out of the boundaries of freedom, you're actually walking in lawlessness. We're getting back up to track here. But what I did was we drew these squares up here that are the same size, but it's a kingdom view. See, this is a kingdom mindset of how we should view sin. That the guy who knows to give money to Tom's trip and doesn't do it is sinning just as much as the guy selling some little eight-year-old girl into sex slavery. However, they should be looked at as the same sin from a kingdom mindset, but this represents how they affect other people. Is that better? This isn't that this viewpoint is wrong, but how we label it is. This is not any more, from a sin point of view, a bigger sin than that. They're all sin from a kingdom mindset, sin, 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 sin. But the effect is right here. Amen? That, sorry, I just chewed on that. Um, Cough drop. This is why we have to get aggressive with sin. This is why we have to get aggressive with this. If I don't get aggressive with that, or gossiping or lying, or not paying my bill, or not honoring people, or having a glass of wine that leads to four glasses of wine before I go to bed, 
or whatever the case may be, you won't get aggressive with this. Would you agree? Okay. Why am I out of breath? It's probably because I didn't run an exercise this week like I should have. Let me get to my notes. So, one of the things that really started this journey for me, and what happens as we start to share and minister in the gospel, is, at least from my viewpoint, that God starts to show me something, and I have to deal with it. To deal with what's going on in Mike Brown's life. Not be like, oh, I got this revelation, and now you guys all need to do it. Now, what happens, I believe, is God shows us something to start to work out, figure out, come up with a plan, see some fruit, and then he goes, all right, now it's time that we make people aware. Now let's show some people some fruit, and let's start to make people aware of what's going on. I heard this message just a quick message at Ball State several months ago. This guy was standing up, and he was talking about sin. And he was talking about different aspects of sin. And he had this dream. This is not my dream. I am regurgitating this from someone else. But it caught my attention. And at that moment, I said, Mike's got to change some stuff. So he's in this dream, and he's at the foot of the cross. And he's right there. And he's... It's toward the end when Jesus is getting ready to give up his spirit. And Jesus is in horrible shape. And he's looking at Jesus. And he's so thankful for what Jesus did. And he's focused on the cross. But he said what happened is off to his left or right, I don't remember. He said this adulterous figure came toward him. And as this adulterous figure came toward him, this figure was luring him into sexual impurity and into sexual sin. And what caught his attention was he, was he would look at the cross and then it would nag at him and tempt him and he would look over and he would be like, no. And then he would start to, no, I can't, you know, look at the cross. And then it would pull on him some more. No, I got to look at the cross. No, 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 I can't. And finally he got so mad and he said, no, I can't have anything to do with you because I'll get caught. And he woke up. He said, in that moment I realized I was not sinning because I didn't want to get caught. I was not sinning out of what Lynn teached on and taught and touched last week. It's based on my history with Jesus. I worship Jesus. I could even feel it this morning in worship as it's getting started. We're waiting for this amazing experience. I just want to worship him, but the right song's got to come on and the music has got to be right. I can't sin because every condition has got to be right and I might get caught. No, I don't sin and I worship Jesus based on what he did right here because he loved me so much he gave his life and he wanted me, and he wanted you, and that was a great price to pay, and I'm expensive. You're expensive. You're worth every piece of drop of flesh and skin and blood that he dropped on the ground for you to say, I, you can nag at me all you want, but I, this is more important, and what I represent is the kingdom. I represent a marriage, a covenant that comes together. That's why I don't cheat on my wife. It's not because I'm afraid I'll get caught. Because I'm a good sinner and I can get by with stuff because I know how. But I love her. My love for her compels me to say no to porn. It compels me to say no to lust. It compels me when other women flirt with me and say things and I'm in another town. That's what keeps me to her. It's not because I'm a hundred miles away and I'm, I can probably get by with this. You know, or the thought, oh, I still might get caught because somebody knows this or that. It's because I love this woman. And I don't sin because I love this guy that did so much for me that, man, I love him. And I don't do it perfect. I do slide this way. But when I start to, I say, all right, bring it on because I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm Christ. I'm in Christ. I am the anointed one with his anointing. And I have grace. Grace not just to cover my sin, but I have grace to conquer it. And I can say, come on, let's wrestle. Let's get it on because I'm strong. Amen? Woo! That was good. I would like that. Woo!
Oh, catch my breath. So again, I got to change my perspective of not getting caught to, oh my, you have caught my attention. You have caught my attention. And I represent I, you, 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 Mason, you, and Sarah, and, and Elijah, and, 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 and Wyatt, and Gage, and Blade. You represent something so much bigger than yourself, so much bigger than this church, so much bigger than your mom and dad. I mean, it's, it's unmeasurable how big it can go and what you represent that God wants to do in your life. But we have to move through and mature and stop doing it for the wrong reasons. Thank you. Because I'm consumed by him. It's his beauty. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's him that does it. What happens here is that when we, when we stop looking at the cross and when we're dealing with sin here in the church, we can use it here. In my own experiences, we want judgment because somebody mistreated us. We want judgment for how, I'll just use you because I'm looking a lot at you. I want judgment for Charlene because Charlene sinned against me. And oh, I'll forgive her once she's been punished. That's how we handle sin, how I've seen it handled even within this church. I'm not talking about Newcastle and, and the other churches. I'm talking about right here. I've seen it. I've even done it myself, and I've had to get myself in check. Well, you sinned against me, so, I'll, man, I want to see you punished. And then once you're punished, I'll forgive you. See, that's how we've been dealing with it. And I'm going to share a parable here in a second that confirms that. Because as this was all coming together, I'm like, God, how is this going to work? And I, I want something to pull from, you know. I mean, you, you hear preachers say, I spent 40 hours on this message and 25. And, and there are some people that do, and, and they're amazing messages. But I, not just in this city and town, but all over as I, you know, I'm regionally connected and I talk to people. I spend 45 hours a week, brother, on my message. I'm like, really? Why is it revival falling and dead people being raised? If you're spending 40 hours a week on a message, it's got to be like, poof. Now, I didn't, I've probably spent 40 hours sit-down time on all three weeks. But see, what I do is as God's working on me, I'm constantly asking in communion, how's this going to work? What you want to do? I sat down for an hour the other day, and I'm reading certain scriptures and talking to the Holy Spirit. And it's just like nothing except relax, Mike. Relax. All right, so I take off, and I go down the road, and I'm going to where I'm going, and these two parables. Not, well, one was a parable. And the other was something that actually happened come to mind. Because I want it not just to be the words, but it needs to be the word. It needs to come from here. So that being said, when we talk about sin and we talk about I want it judged, I will then forgive you once you're punished, which is where we're at. We're going to stay there for a second. I want you to go to John chapter 8. Now, there's some other scriptures, too, that I had them pull up, um, you know, reasons why that we need to get aggressive with sin. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Don't pull it up. Go to the go to Luke. John. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Did that to make sure you were listening. Uh, Matthew 5, 27 says this as you're finding the other one I just told you to go to. Yeah, you should be looking for John 8, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read to you Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Matthew 5, 27 through 30 says this, You have heard the law of Moses say, Do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes already committed adultery with her in his own heart. So if your eye... Even if it's your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your excuse me, strong hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus is not saying to literally do that, but he is speaking in such a way to get our attention, saying you, I, we get aggressive. If there's something in my life that's causing, in my life, not in Deb's life that's causing Mike Brown to sin, but in Mike Brown's life that's causing Mike Brown to sin, Mike Brown needs to deal with it. And I need to cut it off. I don't need to, you know, try to bandage it and look at it. Oh, it's such a good arm. And no, don't coddle it. Don't play with it. We cut it off. We get aggressive. All right, so go to Luke. Shine it up on there. I'm just going to read it straight from there. John, I'm sorry. Thank you. Holy Spirit, bring my mind into control. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Interesting fact here that I'm going to point out to you in a second. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman? It sounded just like that too. Woman? Where are they? No one condemned you. Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go now and leave your life of sin. The interesting part about that, I've read some commentary on why that, I mean, and a lot of versions say the older ones left first. It was because the older ones left first because they were uh, really irritated because they were mature enough to know what sin was in their own life. So when Jesus pointed that out, they're like, uh, before he says anything, I'm, I'm going to go because I already know. The, the commentary on some of it has been that the young ones stayed around because they were interested enough. There was this transition, possibly, that was taking place in the time, and what we know there was. But there was something happening in some people, even in the younger age group, that they were taught something that they were seeing demonstrated in a different way. So what their parents taught them and what Jesus was showing them was contradictory. So when the older ones started to leave and it took longer for the younger ones to, to back out is because there was something that was drawing them in. Amen? Now, there's no biblical thing that says that. That's just some history and commentary that I really like. But doesn't this sound like how we deal with sin right now? Oh, oh man, did you see Tina? She got in sin. All right, come on, we're going to drag her. And we sit down, we have this meeting with... Eric and Tom and 42 other people and she was doing this and that and shouldn't have been. Now you confront when you find sin. You do it in the right way but when your heart is just to expose someone else and not work on your own stuff you are in big trouble. I don't it, it, the plank out of my own I was trying to look for some hats that I've seen some that's got big logs on them. What happens as a church is we're here with these big boards on our head and planks in our eye and we're beating each other up. Who wants to be beat up? The devil does that enough to people as is. You allow him to beat you up enough. I don't need my brother in Christ who says my brother or my sister in Christ coming and saying, you need to get that out of your eye while he's beating me in the face with the log in his own. But that's how we're addressing sin. And that is what was happening here is that the church people found someone who was doing something. She was probably younger. Yes, she was in sin. So the church, going over here, picking on all the young people and, and all the flip 180 kids and the youth kids, and they're like, man, you know, Mason was out partying, and he shouldn't have been, and, 
You know, he's had seven girlfriends this year. He should not be doing that. And we're dragging. I don't know if you have or not. That just, you know, it was actually a, well, thank you for bringing clarity. But we go through and we drag these people through the mud because we want to prove our own point and we want to get the finger in the eye away from us because I don't want to deal with my stuff. It's a whole lot more entertaining to watch somebody else try to do it and go through crap. Amen? That's how we're dealing with it now. But we are changing. Okay, this message is not, please don't hear me trying to condemn us and talk about all the stuff we're doing wrong because we're doing some good things. There's people in here doing some great things, pursuing sin. I've, you know, people been telling me stuff that they've been doing. I didn't, you know, stop the group message, so I didn't go see this movie. And because of what it could or may represent, I don't want my good to be evil spoken of. We're thinking outside of our own self. So let us go to. Are we still doing pretty good? Y'all still with me? Okay. So let's go to how we as a church are trying to change the culture of how we deal with people who have sin in their life that they're trying to get over. Amen? Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Eight through ten. I'm going to pray real quick. Will you guys pray with me? Holy Spirit, I just ask you to continue to use the words on my tongue. You would use this message that you would bring not only a conviction, but a greater revelation of grace and how we are empowered to conquer sin, to get aggressive with it, and that you would show us that we need to realize we represent something so much bigger than ourselves. And while none of us is perfect, we need each other to try to help us get over these sin things that are in our life. Holy Spirit, may you just continue to do what you do. Father God, would you show your love. May it continue to grow thick within this place as we start to go through the last part of this message and finish up. Jesus, as, these, as this is finishing up, I've got a video I'm going to show. May you let your anointing flow and convicting power as maybe some people are on the bubble or they're afraid to get uh they're afraid to conquer and go forth and get aggressive with sin that you would just help us know and understand that you already paid the price number one that sin has already been punished you have already taken care of that but as a good father you're here to help bring discipline and strength and that we would be a people that would live a life that is holy, unlike this earth has ever seen people live holy before, that we would be a people that are aggressive lovers of God and people from a next generation who will live holy, who will serve sacrificially, who will speak truthfully in such a way that this world is so unfamiliar with, but yet so drawn to that they say, I've got to have what that person has. Amen. All right, so he's talking about the kingdom of heaven here, and he says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I've got a water over here. Is this one mine? You drink it all. Bless you, my dear. I'm fine. Um, so here's what we see here. A couple years, year and a half or so ago, as we're teaching in uh, the evangelism class that I did, we went in and we studied the parables in such a way to find how in every way Jesus was evangelistic. Well, this parable came up and I looked into it, and may, or maybe it was Tina. I can't remember. But God brought this parable back to mind. Now see, when we read this parable and we think of this lady who loses this coin and she, we're like, why? She had 10 coins and she only lost one. Why? Do you ever think, why is that coin so expensive? It doesn't, it, it's silver, that's part of it, but it represents something bigger than her. It, it didn't even represent her savings account. Do you know that? What happened back in these days is women, when they got married, 
they had a, like a bandana thing that they wore around their head. And when they got married and we wore around their head, do you know how many coins were in it? Ten. Ten coins in the band. So what would happen is the lady would never leave the house without the band on her head with ten coins in it. There's some versions that when you read this, uh, there's one that I read that said that she actually called her friends to come over and help her find it. And I, and I couldn't find that again, or maybe I dreamed that up, but I just sensed that this lady who was so after this one coin, she's like, I can't find it. I'm going to call I'm going to call Alger and Connie because they know how important this is and they're going to come help me find this thing. She would not step out of the house without her bandana with 10 coins on because if she did, she represented her husband and her marriage. And when she walked out of the house with only nine coins instead of 10, it was reproach upon her husband. It was reproached upon their marriage because it showed that she had cheated and went out upon her husband and was unfaithful and it brought reproach. And she was so in love and enamored with her husband that she's like, I am not leaving this house till I find this coin because I represent something bigger than myself and I can't find it. So I'm calling my friends and they're going to come over and we're going to find it because they know how important my life is to my husband who I represent that we're going to find this before I walk out of the house and I do something that brings reproach upon my husband. So when she find it, she's like, yes, I found it. I've conquered it. I've got it. I can leave the house and show people that I represent the lover of my life and it brings no reproach. Whew. I thought that was good. But anyway, so what happens is you, in relation to sin, she realizes, I realize, oh, I've got myself in a mess. I've sinned. I'm not leaving till I deal with it. And I can't deal with it myself. I'm going to get aggressive. And I see this lady. She's in her house. And she's just not like, oh, yeah, that's not it. She is grabbing stuff and throwing it and turning over cushions and couches. And she is tearing the place apart because she's so aggressive about what she represents that she's going to find it or she's going to die trying. Amen. So in our sin life, she, you call people. And you're like, man, I'm sinning. Will you help me? I got to get through this. And how we should be dealing with it is we're getting together. All right, let's come up with a plan because the word says God will make a way for your escape. Now, in that, he's not saying go out and sin, and then when you're in the middle of your mess, call me, and I'll get you out. No, no man builds a house without a plan. You need a plan before you get in the mess. So when you're in the mess, then you say, Jesus, I'm in a mess, but I've got a plan, but I need help. Then he goes, hey, I can help get you out to your escape route. It's not always, okay, I'm going to get you out again. No, eventually he says, make a plan. You are responsible for what you know. Get a plan, and then when you're there, he can help you get to the exit door. Amen? Amen? So to the parable, when I'm in sin and I go, and they, my friends help me, and they help bring light in areas that are dark, and they help me find my piece of silver so I can go back, and then I'm out and I represent something bigger than me. That's why relationship is so important. And I say that because I even asked Austin if I could use this as an example. This is a perfect example of what they did in their own life. Not married. They're getting married. She gets pregnant. It's a sexual sin issue. So they come up here, and they don't come up here first, but they go to who they're in relationship with. Um, I lost a coin out of my headdress. How do I find it? Because I know I represent something bigger than who I am. And then we say, all right, let's find it. And we start to find it and we work through a process and we come up with plans. And then they get up here together and they say, yes, I messed up, but I'm, I'm not going to let that define who I am because I'm going through. We didn't make them do that. They ask for help. We give suggestions. What do you want to do? That's what I want to do because I'm not my own. I represent the kingdom. I've touched people's lives. I want to redeem this situation and make it good. And then you come out. I found my coin. We're putting it back in. I'm going back out in public because I represent something bigger than who I am. I am not my sin. I am my father's. Amen. 
The Bible said, uh, before we're getting really close, we talked about getting aggressive with sin. And I'm going to give you a couple Bible verses here in a minute. But we're going to show a video really quick, and then we're going to close. You are here as you've gotten away, and Jesus is just pulling. And he's trying to get you there, and you feel that tug on your heart, but you're like, man, I don't know how to get there. You cannot get there by staying where you're at with the gun that is in your hand. You have to throw it down. And the part that I love about this, the, the part is where she's getting aggressive. She does not let the enemy, as the enemy pushes back on her, she doesn't let the enemy win. Some of you are in that position of you're fighting, you're getting, you're ready. And Jesus is like, come on, keep going. Keep going, and you're fighting. You get thrown down on the ground, but you've got to get back up again. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up eight. You have to keep getting back up and being aggressive with your sin. You have to go after it. You just can't sit there and say, Jesus, take care of it while I wait for the magic pill. He took care of it here so you could have the power and the strength to take care of it here and to push through, and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to push through. I'm going to attack this thing. And I'm going to go because there comes one point where Jesus says he's got it and he's coming to Papa and he gets in there and he throws it all back down because he did it once before. He'll do it again and he holds it back and your time of refreshing comes. Some of you are like, I need a time of refreshing, but you've not even started the fight. You have to fight. It's not easy. Christianity is not easy. Living my life for the Lord has never been easy. I'm not going to tell you. You come up here and you give your life to the Lord that it's all roses and butterflies. There are times when it is and it's great and the times that he refreshes me and loves on me comes when I got to get aggressive with the crap in my life and not wait for somebody else to do it for me. Amen. Read Romans. I think it's Romans 8. Read all of it. I've got several places outlined in my Bible in Romans 8 that says you have the power over sin. You, sin does not control you. It only controls you if you let it. When, excuse me. When you open a door and it comes in, then it starts to control you. It can't do it. When you look in the mirror and you say, I am a child of God. I know who I am. I'm my papa's kid. I am Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. You walk out the door different. You say, "Come!" I, you don't want to say, come on, sin. But when you see it, you're like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to address it. I'm going to make the phone calls I need. I'm not going to kick the computer out of my house because I have a porn problem. No, I'm going to fix me. I'm going to fix me. I'm not going to get mad at the nursing moms. No, you have a problem if you're getting turned on by watching a woman nurse. Fix your problem. Address your own sin issue. Don't blame it on the, on the mom who's, who's in here and she wants to hear the message and all she wants is for her baby to be quiet a little bit. If you're getting turned on by a woman nursing in the sanctuary, you got a problem. Fix it. It's just not her point to take care of something. When she's addressing and doing everything that she needs to and she's preferring her brother, your turn to prefer your sister. Amen? You can stand up. Alger, if you want to have the altar team, altar team come up. We are, sorry I didn't text you back, Eric. But on April 9th, we are having a baptism at the YMCA. We want to get you some more info on that as it happens. Some of you have given your life to the Lord. Some of you have started over. Some of you have fell back and are now going back toward him. You feel this urge that, man, I just need to be water baptized. We're going to be doing that. Today, some of you in here feel like, man, I do need to make that full commitment. I need to be sold out to the lover of my soul. I've messed up. I've sinned. Maybe you've sinned against people in here that you need to go directly to, but you can't bypass the fact of, God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you and whoever. You start dealing with that. Refreshing comes. Get aggressive with your sin. Ephesians 6, 11, I believe, says we wrestle not with fresh and blood, with powers and principalities. You get aggressive. Wrestling is a one-on-one -on -one thing. It takes effort. You can't have somebody wrestle for you. You need to do it. Many of you are feeling that tug as you feel Jesus on the one side as you're trying to push through your own stuff. And he's pulling 
You need to become aggressive. You need to give your life back to him. Some of you are almost right at that point to where he comes in and he breaks it back off for a minute so you can be refreshed. This is what Jesus is for. You can come up here. You can have these wonderful people pray with you. If you make a declaration, if you say, man, I'm going to give my life to the Lord, if you're going to reconcile with him, let them know that. Then let one of us know it because the next step is water baptism. Maybe you've been baptized before and you're like, well, I don't need it again. Maybe you just need to know exactly what it's about so someone explains it to you, which we're going to do so you realize the power that's in water baptism. I was baptized when I was 13, but I only did it because I was obeying. When I came here, I felt, I was taught, I realized I'm giving, I've given my life back to the Lord. They taught me what it was about, and I knew I needed baptized. There's a supernatural thing that happens that even empowers you more to get more aggressive with your sin. Amen? Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Father, we love you. And we know that it is impossible to acknowledge one and to not bring honor to the other. But we just thank you and we love you. Holy Spirit, just ask that you take all this that's been said, that you deposited in the soil of our hearts, and that we realize what we are called to do, that we are called to bring the kingdom to heaven, the kingdom of heaven to earth, that we are to get aggressive with our sin, that we are to use grace as power and not as an excuse, and that you would let that resonate within us and we would realize that we can conquer sin, not just cover it up. Let your love resound in this place, Father, as you are drawing people in and as you are giving people strength, as you are bringing refreshing. Continue to highlight areas in our life that we need to continue to change, that we need to kick sin out, where the next place is to get aggressive. Some of you today, I'm just going to step out there. There's... God is a God of covenant. And God loves and he honors marriages. And maybe secretly your marriage isn't going so well, but on the outside it looks like it's just amazing. Jesus can heal that and he can give you, Holy Spirit can empower you to remember covenant and kick some things out. 